Hello. Hi, it's Glenn here, and Kieran and James are with me on is what, episode six of this podcast, the No Code SaaS podcast. Welcome, guys. Hi. Hello. Thanks for covering for me doing introductory type stuff last time. I couldn't be here, but we'll just do a quick introduction of ourselves for those that are diving in late. So, Kieran, why would you kick off for us? Yeah, hi everyone. I'm Kieran, aka No Code Life on Twitter, and I am building Yep.so, which is a super fast landing page builder for testing ideas. And James? And uh, yep, I'm James, and I'm building a app for Shopify called UserLoop that helps stores collect customer feedback. So all with all with Bubble. So pretty much completely No Code. Cool, cool. And yep, I'm Glenn. I'm the Flow Agency on Twitter. I'm building NoCo Kids, among other things, and we'll come to that in this episode, I'm sure. But uh, we're going to dive straight in with who should we start with? Kieran, why don't we start with you? Let's have a let's have a bit of a yep, not so update. If that's okay. Certainly. So I haven't done that much in the past couple of weeks in terms of marketing. I haven't done that much in terms of building new features either. I did a fair amount of customer support because all it takes is is one customer who wants something that you don't have or one feature that stops working. And then that can be, you know, a couple of days of stress trying to, trying to figure out what was wrong. So I had a few of these situations over the past two weeks. One of them was that the custom domain plugin that I used just suddenly stopped returning the right value that allowed it to properly set up the custom domain and obviously it took me ages to work that out and the customer that needed it was a a paying customer because that's a paid feature so that was kind of stressful because you know it's something that's very much on the edge of my technical ability like understanding about dns settings and how all that stuff works because it's plugged into netlify and yeah it was it was very difficult to debug as well because of the bubble logs a lot of it's done with back-end workflows and it's very hard to find exactly what's going on by looking at the bubble logs because they're not the best so i managed to get there in the end i had another customer who messaged me on saturday when i was out with hardly any internet and was like this is urgent and i was i was trying to access bubble on my phone because i knew it was a simple thing just needed to update their plan in the database but i couldn't get bubble to load on my phone. So I messaged Rack and said, I'm sorry, hopefully it can wait a little bit. And they said, yeah, that's fine. So it wasn't as urgent as they had first said. So I got that sorted. The other two things I've been doing is one, I've actually hired a designer. I'm paying someone money to improve the way the landing pages look on bubble yet, because obviously they're all very similar designs. And I've just found a designer who are I've seen their work and I thought this is fantastic. And so I'm just going to pay them to make a change, which will make it better for everyone. So hopefully people won't just say, oh, I've launched a landing page really quickly. They'll be able to say I've launched a really beautiful landing page really quickly. And so hopefully it won't be more than some fairly simple tweaks and things like that, but that's going to be an interesting experience. And then the other thing I've been doing over the past couple of weeks is building another SaaS, which I know I shouldn't be doing, well, depending on who you talk to and and what your opinion is, but uh, yeah, I did get distracted and went down the rabbit hole and I also didn't validate the idea at all. Well, at least I didn't do it with a, a landing page on Yep. I did it by messaging a couple of people on Twitter and asking them what they thought of it. 
a couple of friends and they really liked it. So I thought, and they said they'd use it as well. So I thought I'd go for it. And I've, I used made with frames, which is the thing by build camp to kind of speed up your bubble development or the designer side anyway. And I found when I'm using that, it's just so much faster because I don't have to spend ages with positioning things. It just, I just drop them onto the page. So that's why it only took a couple of weeks to do this, but yeah, I'm kind of excited about that one. It'll be good just to have a bit of a change. That sounds like a lot. You said at the beginning of that, you haven't been doing very much. And that, that sounds like a huge thing. I don't know about you, James, but I'm quite intimidated by uh, by the amount you just came up with there. Can I, can I just make a couple of points on that one? I, I, I think it's absolutely classic that you didn't feel like validating or uh, didn't at least do the validation bit um, <laughs> before you actually went ahead with it. And what it, it's just the way, isn't it? It's like, I don't automate all of my life, but I love doing automations for other people and, and in my business, but I don't, I don't go and apply it to, to everything. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a common thing that isn't it about what do they say about hairdressers who don't ever get the haircut and they have messy hair or, you know, fashion designers who wear trashy clothes. And it, it, it I think it just goes with the territory. It's just a really interesting interesting idea but also the big bit there you're saying hiring somebody to do design work for you i mean that's huge i, th I wouldn't say that's a slight thing at all because you're you're entrusting that person to to carry your vision forward now and that's a big step away from just being a, a solo solopreneur and doing it all yourself to to bringing somebody in so well done on that i'd say well i mean i'm i'm not hiring him like full-time or anything i'm just gonna pay him on a project basis to like can you can mm. you improve the look and feel of these pages and if if he can't then that's fine i'll pay him and won't implement yeah. it but i'm thinking he will definitely be able to make a big difference and i found him because i signed up for this site feather dot so which is like notion to blog site and it's really i think it's really beautiful the design yeah, of the front page and the inside and so i asked the the maker who's really really cool and friendly like who did your design and he just told me the guy and so i just messaged him and said have you got any spare time to have a look at this good move good move and i know we've been talking a little bit over twitter about how to bring best practices into the design of a landing page right so we've, we've been looking at how other people go about that because we're both interested in that you obviously from a product point of view and you came back and said there's some great stuff in here. I'm going to apply those to, to what I'm doing in yep.so is, was there anything specific that stood out there or was it just small tweaks or did, did you feel like you were already doing a lot of what those best practice guides sort of spoke about? Yeah, I was doing a lot of it, but each one of those guides you, you read, you get new ideas, different ways of doing things. And, you know, there's different ways of presenting your value proposition. And the way I've got it is, is one way where you, which I think is, is decent where you know, the, the above the fold, you're explaining what you're doing and then you're giving more details to make it seem more tangible and real. And then you're giving social proof, but there are various other ways of going through that in terms of like reminding people of the problem that they're facing and kind of explaining it back to them to show that you really understand it. So at the moment, I think above the fold is probably fine, but the next part of my page is at the moment, it's just kind of features or rebuttals to objections, but I might try and structure it a bit more, like remind people of the problem that they're facing and then talk about your solution. So that is, yeah, that's one way or, or just not restructure the page, but just put that as a kind of tip for ways that you can word mm. the copy on your page. 
So I, I always wondered whether you would go down this route, perhaps, where you would say, you're at this stage of the page, yep.so user, have you considered now doing this? You know, perhaps put one of these type of things in here. And they can say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to move on to the next bit. But you, you're almost sort of putting those best practices in as you're working your way down the page and building that page up. Is that is that the kind of thing that you're, you're heading towards? Or? Yeah, absolutely. I think anything that can help people to write better landing page copy will it'll help them to get more traction with their pages, which will help me to get more visibility for yet. Oh, a couple of, so one other thing I did, I spoke to a guy who I contacted him. He has the most successful yet page out of anyone. He's got over 2,500 waitlist signups through his yet page, That's which funny. is just crazy. I think the next one after that has like 200 signups. And so I just did a zoom call with him to find out more. And he's got like one of the most basic pages you can imagine the copy is like super simple, but he's obviously just been doing a fantastic job of building an audience at the same time. And he just has it in his Twitter profile and he's built a massive Twitter for like 50,000 Twitter followers in the space of a few months. So obviously he's got skills on that side of things at getting people to actually click on the page and the page itself is about the most basic yet page I've seen, but it's, it's working and interestingly he didn't even know there was a, a pro plan he was he's just on the free plan and he he was like oh i didn't know you had other features and other like designs and stuff like that so that was kind of funny another opportunity for you to be communicating with people about pro i guess and yeah. he didn't know how many others don't know you know so excellent excellent and we we just let's address the the other bombshell which is coming up with a new SaaS idea and running with it. Where did that come from? Was it was it just a spark of sort of insight one day or is it something you've always thought about? What, what compelled you to do that and why now? Well, the most, it's, it's gonna sound very silly, but it's an idea that started with a domain that I had. <laughs> started with a domain name and I was like, what app can I make that will fit this domain name? The domain is, is daily.so, which I previously had another app on, which actually fitted perfectly with that, but I dropped that. And so I was like, I want to reuse this because it's a cool domain. And then I came up with an idea based on the domain name, which I know just sounds ridiculous. But after I came up with the idea, so the idea is, it's like a, it's like a, a way for creators to make simple, quick courses that they can then sell. So instead of with like with Podia, where you have to spend a month in a cave recording your course and then put it out there when it's all totally finished, this is going to be focused on micro courses where you can share everything in a few like five minute Loom videos. So you could say to have a free Loom account, just record a few five minute videos teaching a topic. You can then sell it through Gumroad, so I don't do any of the sales stuff. And then it will automatically invite people that purchase to this and it will send them a sequence of drip emails with each part of each lesson from the course. The idea was that it'd be five minutes per day, but I've now made it so you can have it, make it however long you want and you can have different gaps between emails, but it would be a kind of the idea is micro courses like bite size. And then I was, I was speaking to, to someone and they said, oh, well, there's this other course builder that was meant to be courses built on Notion and it's kind of shutting down, but that had quite a lot of traction. So I've now added the ability to have a Notion page instead of a Loom video. So yeah, it's super simple. It's like, yeah, it didn't take long at all. 
and there's not much functionality but i think it could be interesting and i've already got like three people who said oh yeah cool well i'll make a course for it i don't know whether they will but yeah just felt like something kind of interesting and fun to do i like that that sounds like it could tie in with your existing startup already <laughs> with yep so that could be like the idea validation for the course and then if you get enough then you've got the platform to actually go and deliver it as well so it's quite complementary in that way and you could kind of have some cross contamination between them which would be cool yeah i think there's definitely certainly with yet because it's landing pages there's always some cross contamination between these different ideas but yeah i think there it could be it could work really well together brilliant and when, uh, go on James, sorry i guess i'm kind of curious because whenever you start a new app so you, you obviously used frames for the front end but did you find yourself reusing any of the existing back end that you had from yep or did you just do it as a completely fresh project and do everything brand new no i always do it from scratch and i really i just enjoy <laughs> like starting from scratch with you just got your users and then just thinking through the date well, i don't really think through it. i just do it as i'm as i'm building so yeah i really enjoy that side and then doing all the workflows and stuff but it's it's really one of the most simple apps i've i've ever built and it's and i and i love that the simpler the better i think obviously it gets more complex over time but if you can do a really simple mvp that only takes a couple of weeks then i think that's fantastic can i ask you a question that maybe some of the people listening might be thinking hopefully it's not just me if you're creating multiple apps and you're starting from scratch each time are you missing the opportunity to actually bring the users across from one app to another? So, for example, if you've got a yep.so existing user and you they then wanted to make use of the new app, are they having to sign up all over again? And that's another username and password. Or if you shared a database, could they not log in across both apps? Is that something you think about? Or? No, I've never thought about that. I think, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know if there's enough synergies. Question. <laughs> well, certainly with, within Bubble, I don't know of a way to share your user database between two apps unless you build some kind of API connector between them or some kind of single sign-on. So I could have some kind of Kieran OAuth for anything. <laughs> Kieran, mate, you can just log in with your no-code life OAuth. But yeah, that would be, that would be a bit crazier. But yeah, I just, you know, I like to... I can't imagine that people will, that many people will want to use both of them. So yeah, kind of just keep them separately. Yeah, oh, fair enough. I was just curious. Can I just say before we move on to you, James, because I really want to hear your update because I know it could be a potentially big one. I try not to build apps based on domains I own. <laughs> However, I do buy the domains in the first place thinking I will build an app for that domain one day. And I know lots of people do this and none of us actually ever build all of those apps. But I got one the other day, which I was really pleased about. And I wanted to build a custom document builder platform, not to try and compete with Notion or Coda or something like that, but just a really cut down version of that for a really rapid creation of a document and a sharing of a document, which is very kind of feature rich. So I know it sounds like Notion, but anyway, the I managed to, to, to secure document.so the other day, document.so, oh, nice. wow, 
that is a great domain name. So if I ever get around to building this one, at least I know I've got a good domain name for it, but it's, I, I kind of get where you're coming from with that. The temptation to build something just because you've got a good name, it's, it's quite irresistible, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think it's, it's rude not to really buy the domain. And if it's a good one like that, then I think you should just put something on it and see what happens. Watch this space. All right, Karen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've fallen victim to that as well over the past month, especially with buying domains through Cloudflare. They're so cheap because they sell them at cost. You just have a, an, a quick idea and you're like, oh, I'm just going to buy that. And you end up buying <laughs> loads of domains. Because, yeah, I certainly went through a period about a year ago where I was just trying to get rid of them, all these domains that I'd had for like 20 years. And I was like, I'm never going to do anything with these. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, you you have another idea and you end up buying more and more. So yeah, I think it's probably something we're all guilty of is hoarding domains that if we have a good, a good idea, but yeah, it's, it I is literally, fun. I literally bought nocodeideas.com today, this afternoon. <laughs> That's the first one I bought for ages, but just thought, got to get it. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. It's the equivalent of collecting stamps, isn't it? So, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. Good. James, let's move on to you. I know we've got some potentially exciting things to hear from you. So, yeah, no, I've been quite a busy couple of weeks. So I've tried to continue on with my goal of not spending as much time on feature development. So it's been quite light feature-wise. There's one or two tactical things that I added from customer requests that weren't too heavy. And I kind of do that. I like doing that because you usually can get a positive review out of it. And I did. it did get a couple of positive reviews, so it is worth worth doing those little tweaks where you can and it's uh, does not too much of a distraction but uh, yeah aside from that i've been trying to focus more on sales doing actual demos with customers outreach that kind of stuff and it, it does seem to have had a, a bit of an impact and some quite interesting sources of inbound leads really so I got I got a lot a lot stricter about always following up whenever someone tries out the app. So if they try out the Shopify demo or they try the demo on the website, but then don't install it, then like personally emailing everyone who does that. And that's actually resulted in some really, really good, well, a couple of new customers and, and a load of really good leads as well. So that's been really good. Because so I think people are kind of pleasantly surprised when you actually personally follow up with them and say, you know, How's it going? And that's led to, yeah, I've been doing much, much more like in-person demos. So doing Zoom calls with people, doing demos for them. And that's working out really quite well because it, it's, it's much larger customers who are interested in having those demos. So I'm probably going to tweak some of the marketing a bit more to maybe drive people towards demos instead of a free sign up because it does seem to have been performing really well. It means you can kind of get to know the customer a lot more and tailor the demo to match what they're interested in. And you can talk about things like pricing and trials and all this kind of stuff a bit more. So that's been pretty exciting. I also have had quite a few customers who are kind of medium term customers, I'd say maybe they've been using it for three to six months and they've suddenly rolled it out to a lot more of their stores on like the the top level plans, which has been like really exciting. So where they've got maybe one store in the UK, they've rolled it out to five, six, seven, eight stores around the world. Each store is, has its own license. So that can build up the revenue 
quite quickly. One of them, one one of them that's ongoing at the moment is a is a is a massive like multinational brand who's using it for one of their brands in one country, and they've just asked to expand it to ten across the whole world with a on the pro on the top level plan for all of them. So that's kind of exciting negotiating that, and hopefully it goes through. And there's the, a couple of these much larger brands now that are in like a sales cycle. So that's actually been really exciting and really I've kind of, I haven't done sales in a long time and I'm actually remembering this is actually quite fun. Getting getting the leads in is hard, but doing the demos and negotiations and all that kind of stuff is, is, is really enjoyable. So that's been really fun to kind of get to grips with doing that again. Yes. And I, really kind of realizing that there is quite a significant audience for the product who have multiple stores. So that's leading me to perhaps do some changes to the product. A couple of these have said, oh, I would, I would sign up if I could view analytics for all my stores on one dashboard, this kind of thing, which I'd never considered before. So that's now probably going to be the focus of the next month is bit of a change from what I was originally thinking was I think the previous episode we discussed about maybe my next focus was going to be pivoting to, to support non Shopify stores. And I feel like that's probably on the back burner at the moment because of the direction that I'm being pulled in of these larger brands who are willing to pay and want this kind of all in one view of, of all their stores. So I'll probably spend a bit of time I'm putting that together this month and then doing some marketing around that. But it was great to hear your uh, your uh, feedback of Kieran about getting a designer because that's probably one of the things I'm thinking about now as well from the marketing site point of view. Because that's certainly where I, I'm pretty weak, I would say, is, is writing that marketing copy and doing all the stuff that, that your app actually helps people do, but writing all the landing pages doing all the feature stuff because my the marketing site is actually pretty rubbish at the moment i think really for mine doesn't really talk about any of the features or anything any, like it's pretty basic so i feel like a bit more investment in time there over the next month as yeah really really want to try and drive more of these inbound leads it seems to be working quite well that's really that's exciting. fantastic sorry yeah. Karen, you go well, no, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, do you, do you feel like, so obviously these, these big customers, the multinationals and the ones where, with multiple stores who are happy to pay a higher price point, do you feel like that could be a new focus for you in terms of that as your ideal customer? Previously, you have probably felt like you were targeting individual Shopify store owners and maybe at the beginning you were targeting the small ones and then you've grown in confidence, but perhaps these ones are the ones that are just absolutely worth a hundred percent of your focus and, and the other ones can just continue using it if they want to. Yeah, I think there is an element of that. And, and like some of these deals are at the point where they would like double the MRR of the whole company. Like, so, like it's taken me a year to build it up with hundreds of stores on the lower plans and some of these other bigger deals are like so, so big that that they would you know eclipse everything else basically and and there is there there is a risk inherent with that as well that you know we're all, we all know we don't want to depend on one or two customers but it does kind of signal to me that if there's a couple there there's probably quite a lot of bigger 
companies. So it's probably worth pursuing that for a bit rather than jumping straight into my other ideas, which were to go and do more Shopify apps or to branch out from Shopify altogether. So yeah, I think that, that'll, that'll be probably the focus for the next month and see where it goes really. And James, it sounds to me like if you're, if you're moving into more kind of enterprise sales territory, it doesn't have to detract from the fact that you've got these other customers with single stores and, you know, it doesn't have to be a different product, does it? You're just talking about tiers at the end of the day. So what, what more would you have to do sort of feature wise you've mentioned a few there, but is, is it a big thing to shift into enterprise mode to support them or sounds like it's actually more an organizational kind of thing as opposed to sort of more and more and more features, you know? Yeah, it's very limited features, really. It's, it, you know, it's that high, the aggregated view of multi-stores, which I don't think should be too hard. And then really it's a question of packaging, because I think the pricing can be different for multi-store deals. And that's a lot of them are asking that about, you know, if I do 10 stores, can we get a discount, that kind of thing. And, you know, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, if you want to take out the top plan on 10 stores, then you know, of course, and if you want to pay for a year in advance and all this kind of stuff, there is a different dynamic to the pricing. And I think you can also, you know, all these features can be lifted up just to those kind of enterprise level deals. But every, yeah, the app is absolutely going to carry on working for people who want to install it for free. And that was actually one of the changes I didn't mention uh, over the last month. I, I did make quite a significant tweak to what was included on each plan. So the number of questions you could add to a survey had always been limited to one on the free plan. But I was just seeing a lot of people instantly uninstalling it because they just couldn't even ask more than one question. So I've increased the number of questions on all the plans. So even on a free plan, you can ask three now, which is, you know, as much as most people want. So I've been kind of monitoring that to see, did that, is that going to affect people? doing paid upgrades and it it does it doesn't seem to have affected that at all it, it's really decreased the uninstalls or the churn, the instant churn which was you know you've gone to all that effort to get that customer and you don't want them to churn straight away so yeah there have been a couple of tweaks but i think it's kind of business as usual really so it's carry on with the the, the app on the the lower self-service plans but focus more much more on this enterprise side and just see what if it is worth pursuing over the next month and if that is an, an angle that's worth going after. So quite uh, interesting. Sorry. No, no, uh, it's okay. I was just going to say, so what, what I love about following along your journey, James, is that you're, and I think the thing that I'm taking away from this is you didn't set out to become an enterprise level app. You know, you, you didn't, you didn't design it to do that specifically, you designed it to fulfill a particular function or functions and it's worked really, really well. And then as you've listened to your customers as you've been going along and trying things and building it up and changing it up a bit and testing stuff, you're kind of uh, unlocking things, aren't you? It's, it's, it's like, oh, here's something else that I, I didn't know I could do. Here's something else that is another opportunity. And I think it's, it's almost like you're it's a way of gauging the health of the business is that is that if that keeps happening and it keeps growing and growing and growing in a nice organic fashion like that, then you, you're heading in the right direction and at the right pace. I think that's the other thing I wanted to sort of mention is you don't go all in, you, you know, you're not right. I'm going to drop everything and build out 
with the enterprise solution because I've, I can see pound signs, I can see dollar signs, right? Which is a real temptation, I think, is to, is to pivot or drop existing customers or whatever it might be and actually just go for it. But you don't do that. And, you know, you're the same, Kieran. You know, you, you're very measured about it and you said, I'm going to try this. Who, who, who knows? It may not work, but I think there's something there. And I, I just wanted to flag that. It's just a, a really good kind of attitude to have as you, I think, as, you, as you're going into this. So, yeah, just yeah, well done on that. <laughs> And I think there's probably also a confidence level to it as well. So I think when I launched the app, it was pretty much entirely free with maybe I think it started at $5 a month or something like that. And that was how it was for a long time. And then I did, I think, as we spoke about previously, did some some experiments with increasing the prices. And, and now that I've had a couple of customers who've signed up for these for like, the top like the top level plans and even bought multiple plans so like i think one one customer is on like three or four hundred dollars a month alone so like i would never have imagined that to be possible at the beginning so that's probably giving me a bit more confidence to say hey maybe it is actually good and you know it is worth it's worth a lot to these companies so i should see how far it can go in terms of pricing it's still really really good value compared to anything else that i can see that's competitive to it so yeah it's, it's probably a combination of those things it's just building it up building the features and getting a bit more confident about what to charge for it was i'm, I'm probably like a lot of people is at the beginning very timid about what i should charge <laughs> and you know i was just grateful to have anyone using it at all like even for free so it's just part of that journey, I think, isn't it? Of you know, as the product evolves. Yeah, I wonder if it's. I wonder if that's a very common kind of path for, you know, first time or even second or third time SaaS builders that you you start off and you have low confidence in your in your products. You at first it's free, and then it's like five dollars a month, and then you gradually increase prices, and then and then you get to the point where you have the confidence to actually think about bigger customers and potentially going like b2b because that's quite that's quite similar to what i've done with yep where it's originally it was just for individuals to make landing pages and then i realized that maybe communities can use it and so then i built the community feature which is essentially what you said it's like an aggregated view of a number of yet pages and you can get all the stats from all the pages together and and yeah with bubble it's it's not hard, hard to make that functionality but it does enable you. I wonder if if it's something that we should have foreseen would be a thing. And when you're starting a SaaS, you should assume that you're going to have individual users, but there will be companies who want to have an enterprise level dashboard and and view, you know, obviously you wouldn't want to build out all those features right at the beginning. That would be, be doing too much too soon, but just bearing that in mind for the future of the build. Definitely. And I, I think it's also just, just talking to customers and doing what they want. That's what's led to it in, 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 a, in a lot of ways. It's, you know, people have asked for things and I've added, added and added and also cut as well where things didn't work like we've spoken about before. So it's it just that path you go on, I guess, isn't it? But if you just keep it, you, you seem to come across the answers of, you know, uh, of what to do with things with just a bit of experimentation and just listening really. I'm hoping that gives people listening some inspiration, James, this, this idea that you're a year down the line and you just keep going, you keep going and it builds. And it, it's that classic graph, isn't it? That classic like flatline, 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 because you can't really see the growth, but 
all of a sudden it sort of turns a corner and then it starts to become a bit more exponential. And um, it's the holy grail, of course, for any, any SaaS owner. But thank you for that. That's a great update. Was there anything else you wanted to, to add before we move on to anything else? Or? No, no, I think that's that's the majority of it for this last few weeks. I think it would be interesting in, in, a, in a future episode that one of the topics that I, I've been looking at lately related to this is just the cost of run uh, of running the platform versus what it's being charged for because obviously it's not just the bubble cost there's cost of emails and all, like all these other things that i've ended up having to sign up for and keeping track of that and monitoring the margins and that kind of thing so i think that's definitely something that i'd like to you know for all of us to dive into a bit more in a future episode is how you keep track of that really because it it's uh, you know critical to make sure that you're still growing it profitably even when you're doing all these changes I think we had it as one of our ideas on our idea sheet is this sort of core metrics that we could we could record and track and and, and look at and talk about as as each individual metric and why it's important for the overall kind of like uh, pulse of the business so I, i'd love to have that that chat in the future as well kieran anything else from you before, before i just do a I, I want to do a special segment yeah no go for it i'm aware of the time as well so excuse me i've got a bit of a bit of a cough so we had a, an exciting presentation yesterday. God, it feels like ages ago, but it's just yesterday. And as you know, I build a lot of my stuff using Webflow. And Webflow has been an amazing tool for, for building websites. It's probably the best, arguably, as a builder for building standards, true standards-based web pages. But the functionality has always been a bit lacking. And what Webflowers do is they go out to the market and they use, you'd call them plugins in, in Bubble, but they use these sort of integrations to actually add features to, to the website. So these features are typically of the kind of thing where you have a list of, a list of items coming from your database and you want to filter through those, you want to search through those, etc. right? Fairly basic functionality, but believe it or not, they're not natively built into to Webflow. So Webflow has never been classified as a web app builder tool. It's a website builder tool, but not a web app builder tool. It's hard to make it do that. You end up having to use quite a bit of JavaScript or other kinds of you know, third-party plugins to, to make it do stuff. So yesterday was exciting because one organization called FinSuite, Webflow people who have been doing Webflow for more than a day, will probably know who FinSuite is, have been doing an incredible job over the past year in particular of enhancing Webflow's feature set with their own libraries. So JavaScript libraries, more recently, like a, uh, an approach, a, a framework, an approach to actually putting your web pages, whether that's class naming or or otherwise right so they've got this they've got this great system called client first and they've got these javascript libraries now the the big bombshell yesterday was that they actually acquired a company that we all know about and they've been in the relatively early stages of their development called wizd or wised but everybody's calling them wizd and i think they are with but wizd.com and the guy there, the developer there is called Jonas, and he's he's been building a, a layer that sits on top of your Webflow editor. So you're not talking about the rendered version of the website. You're actually talking about the, web, the Webflow designer, what's called the designer. And this layer 
is giving you a huge amount of web development tools, which you don't have built into Webflow. And because it's visual, just like Webflow is, you're able to point and click, add some logic, point and click, add, do this, do that, grab the form content, store them here, send them over here. You've been able to do that for a while with, with version one, but version two has come out now, was just coming out this week at the same time as it being bought by FinSuite. So they, they're on this mission, this huge mission to turn Webflow into something that even Webflow aren't currently uh, professing to be. And it's a really, really exciting time because it, what it basically means is you can connect any system with a REST API into your Webflow design and actually have the, the, the build that you're doing, whether it's a workflow or forms or, or whatever it might be, interface elements, dashboards, you name it, all connecting up to these external sources, whether it's a Xano database, Superbase, Firebase, whatever, you know, anything, as long as it's got a REST API, you can pull it into this, this solution. So it's really, it's really opening up a, a huge amount of potential for, for Webflow that wasn't there before. So I just wanted to call it out at this stage because it's it's really just been announced, but I think it's a, it's an exciting type. You did see people on there saying, oh, is this a real bubble competitor now? What, what can we build? What are the limitations? Ultimately, when asked that question on the live stream, the developer said, there's really not really any limitations, except if you were looking to build something very feature rich on the front end, like say, a video editing tool or something which was quite heavy on the front end. But if you're not doing that and you're talking about a lot of backend type processes, then you're good to go. You can, you can pretty much build what you like. So really exciting. Watch this space. I will definitely be building things, maybe using some of those domains that, that we were just talking about to actually build some, some microsas apps or other using Webflow. So it's what, it's what a lot of us have been waiting for. That's awesome. Um, mm. I'm very excited for you. It feels like a, you know, a, a younger brother is finally coming of age or something. So does this, does it interact with Webflow's database? Or are you using a separate database? So Webflow's own database is itself, it has a RESTful API. Okay. So you could use it as a data source if you wanted to, but you don't have to. So some, some of what people are already excited about is the fact that you're actually bypassing Webflow's database. You, you know, you're going straight to somewhere else, Airtable, Xano, wherever it, wherever it is that you want to be, because there are limitations that are imposed by Webflow, especially on the lower plans to do with number of items in the database, the API rate limits, all the things that we've kind of touched on before. But if you bypass that and go straight to Xano, you are basically removing all of those, you know, and, and the, 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 there's not even a, an increased delay or perceptible delay. So we're told by connecting to a Xano database, as if you were connecting to a Webflow database, it's, it, there's no kind of difference. So I think that's really, that's a really fascinating idea about this is that you're using Webflow as a, as a designer tool, but the functionality is actually going to all be using this layer of, of WIST, which means that you've got these two tools working side by side, not one tool, and they're going to have to keep up with each other. But because FinSuite's involved and they're building their own JavaScript libraries, it's, it, it, it's just these three great companies kind of coming together and, and bringing the best of, of each bit into, into the same place. So 
yeah, really excited. And this is all happening at the same time, by the way, where where Webflow's own logic feature set was released to the beta members this past week as well. So again, early stages for Webflow's logic set, but logic is not designed to be a web app development layer. That's not what it's for. It's more, mainly for automations and, and, and other kinds of kind of workflows, but it's not not really meant for that. So there's no competition here. And I think Webflow are probably really happy about the fact that, that this is going on and it's adding to their, their infrastructure. It's bringing more people perhaps into Webflow than would otherwise have come because they can now build web apps in there. So yeah, really cool. Yeah, we're going to see some really cool stuff coming out, I'm sure. And surely Webflow have got to be thinking about acquiring FinSuite. <laughs> Maybe it's their grand plan. Yeah, nobody said anything about it yet. Well, people have joked in the in the live stream chat, but in fact, somebody joked that FinSuite would be acquiring Webflow. But no, I don't. I don't think it will be that way around. <laughs> but yeah, no. Joe, Joe, and his team over at FinSuite are just doing an incredible job, and they they get it. They get the Webflow community, and the reason why they they were happy to acquire uh, Wizd was because. Uh, Jonas was always very, very particular about building a tool like this specifically for Webflow. So he was never setting out to build this kind of app developer layer that could sit on top of, I don't know, card. You know, it, it was a Webflow tool. So the, these, as I say, these two companies alongside Webflow are very, very focused on this platform and they're not looking to diversify, or at least not yet. So, um, yeah. Cool. It was really exciting to see because we've seen more and more of this of different tools becoming interconnected with each other. And I'm reading a lot more about Xano and Superbase mm. and integrating with Bubble and and now with Webflow. That sounds really exciting. So yeah, opens up a whole new ton of possibilities and removes some of the limitations that some of these platforms do have. So yeah, I yeah. can't wait to check out like a comparative feature table between them to see, you know, it sounds like that gap is closing up a bit with what you can do with bubble. So it's super exciting. Definitely. And these, these backend tools like, like Xano, I think they're, they're being very clever because they are staying tool agnostic. So, you know, I shared with you a couple of videos that you saw from Xano talking about how Xano can be used alongside bubble and how there was a comparison in there by Chris from Xano showing sort of speed speeds loading data like a large amount of data from within bubbles database versus loading from an external xano database and he was very clear that he wasn't trying to knock any kind of slowness that might exist natively in the bubble database but at the same time he was saying you know that you've got an alternative here's, here's something else you could be doing or if you are forced to use an external database that you don't have to, you can still use bubble, don't move away from bubble. So I think they're, they're being very clever and positioning themselves really well. But on the front end, people like FinSuite and Webflow, you know, they, they, they've struggled, I think, to say, look, we want you to build really clever stuff, but you're gonna have to learn a bit of JavaScript. And it's, there's always that caveat. You're gonna have to learn this plugin, you know, add the, add the JavaScript code in, and then you're gonna have to maybe go and tweak it. And it just it, it just is very off-putting for a lot of no-coders. And I totally get why. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I find myself in the weeds with JavaScript and I'm sitting there and I'm an hour in or two hours in and I haven't done very much, I'm thinking, why am I doing this? You know, this is, this is infuriating. This is so annoying. I'm having to tweak this and do this and do a bit of research online. So. It just feels really pointless when, when 
everything else you do is visual and, and quick. So to have these front end tools to be able to say, okay, yeah, you, well, we've got, we've got you covered now. You've got your JavaScript sort of extraction, extrapolation, we're covering that for you. You don't ever have to think about code and, and the, the, the code that we're creating on your behalf is going to be clean. It's tested. It's, it's fast, safe. That's the other really crucial thing about this, of course, is the, the, the security and authentication of all of this. So it's really welcome. And uh, sorry, I had to sort of infuse about that for a bit, but it was a big, potentially a really big shift for, for those of us that are into Webflow. <clears throat> awesome. Yeah. Awesome news. Cool, cool, cool. Any other sort of things we want to cover before we, we wrap up? Because we're about 50 minutes in. Mm, not from me, no. No, I think that's a, it's a good, good update. Cool. Okay, guys. Well, we'll leave it there and we will see you next time. Thanks everybody for listening and watching if you're watching us on the screen, but otherwise, if you're just listening, we appreciate you coming and we will see you next time.